this meeting is being live streamed. Got it? Got it. Got it. God damn it. All right. How do I do that? Oh, God, I haven't done this in forever now. I forget how to do that. Huh, isn't that what your wife said? Don't. Anyway, oh. go ahead. Oh, oh. All right. Going right to the intro. Hello and welcome to Rat Sal Review. We are finally back. It's been a uh, a long two months. I think, right? Two and a half, give or take. It's been a long, long time. I uh, can't say I've missed it, but I did miss the people that I do the show with. Uh, and we have Lou and Manny here. Hi, Lou and Manny. How are you? How are both of you? Good, good. Uh, doing good. Doing your uh, hiatus. Yes, yeah, good to hear the theme song again. That song got the head not shit that make you break your <laughs> neck. Woo-ha, got you all in check. Yeah, it was nice to hear that. Uh, and, and I am going to work you, uh, uh, Manny, you uh, and James into the uh, the artwork there. I'll make you guys puppets this year, oh, I promise. No, you, you, you really <laughs> don't have to do that. I appreciate that, Wayne. Well, well gonna... they're already puppets, but, you know, he's just going to make it official. <laughs> oh, yeah, we're, we're, we're puppets under Wayne's leadership here. Uh, <laughs> you'll, you'll be of puppets. I can't wait to see the, the, the puppet Manny. It's going to be very frightening. <laughs> it is going to be, but uh, it'll look yeah. cool with all, all the hair you have there. Uh, but, <laughs> but anyway, before we uh, were starting this this show, we were talking about what, what the hell were you talking about? Something about um, I don't know Jeff Beck. Jeff, Jeff Beck. Beck yes. Loss. Yeah. 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 yeah a lot of people that uh, a lot of people that's already died this year. You got uh, Lisa Marie Presley who's died. Uh, Jeff Beck has died. Um, who was the other? Oh, um, uh, Kanye West's career has died. <laughs> yeah, well, that's his own doing. Yeah, uh, David uh, Crosby. Yeah, and I mean, uh, on the wrestling front, which is just uh, yeah, well, yeah, of course, you know, everybody yeah. dies at some point. But uh, and also there was a wrestler, uh, Jay Briscoe, or or um, yes, Jay Briscoe, uh, car accident. That was uh, terrible. Was, oh my god. Yeah, but both of us. How old was he? He was thirty-eight. Oh, that's it. Yeah. Very young. Yeah. yeah, and he was yeah. taking his uh, taking his kids to like a, a school thing. Uh, I guess the kids do like some kind of I, I don't remember some kind of gymnastics thing or whatever. And they got hit by a head-on some some woman. I guess lost control of a car. I don't I don't know the full details, but uh, they hit them head-on. He ended up dying, and then the kids all ended up going to the hospital because uh, I think one of them had some something wrong with their back, right? Uh, a paralysis of some sorts from the knee down, but they're starting to get control of their legs back and, uh, you know, learning to start to walk again. Um, the daughters, uh, are, are going to make a recovery. They're okay. They're good. Um, they've already forgiven the, the person I, I read this on wrestle zone yesterday, actually, uh, the, the entire, uh, Pew family, cause it, their, their their last name's not Briscoe people. It's right. uh Pew it's a P U G H. Um, you know, they they they've forgiven um the uh the the family of the of the person who uh 
was the cause of the accident. Um, they unfortunately lost their life too. I think I, I actually, I could be wrong about that, but you know, they, they're a Christian family and uh, they believe that uh, through forgiveness and faith that they will, um, you know, overcome this. So, you know, wish them all the best. And it's a real shame. Um, I'm a, me and James are both fans of the Briscoe brothers. So, you know, probably the most underrated tag team, in professional wrestling i mean everything they did just looked like it hurt you you know and and that is the 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 marking of a true a truly good pro wrestler is that if they can make you believe that they're really hurting their enemy but they're not they worked you good and they worked you right so you know rest in peace jay briscoe Yep, well, I don't know anything about wrestling but uh that's a tragic story and i wish it's family the best yeah yeah but uh, yeah, like you were saying, uh, Jeff Beck. Uh, I'm not a huge guitar, you know, fan of Jeff Beck. But uh, I don't know you, Lou, because you know. I you know I have to admit Jeff Beck was not someone that I was uh, that I listened to growing up. I mean, mm-hmm. I think I remember. <laughs> oddly enough, I remember Jeff Beck was featured on uh, two songs with Rod Stewart, "Infatuation" and the M- Curtis Mayfield cover of uh, "People Get Ready." But uh, I was actually saying Rod Stewart was featured with Jeff Beck on People that's, Get Ready. Right, because that was on the Flash album of Jeff Beck. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Um, however, the um you know, when I first heard of the Yardbirds in my teen years, I was mm-hmm. uh, a fan of Jeff Beck's through that, and then I discovered uh Jeff Beck group. Um, yeah. you know, the original um band that he had with uh Rod Stewart and I believe Ron Wood. Yes, Ron on Wood bass? on bass and uh, Dunbar, who played with Journey. Frank yes, Zappa and Whitesnake, from... Ansley Dunbar. Yeah, and yes, UFO yeah, for a brief time. Yeah, and you're right. He wasn't a Whitesnake. He's on a. He's on the '87 album. Thank you. Yeah, I couldn't remember which it's one. It's not was on. Tommy Aldridge, so I don't know why people reference Tommy Aldridge for that record. He didn't videos. play a note. <laughs> yeah, I think it's the videos because in the videos, it's not John Sykes. It's. Uh, Adrian so Vandenberg, Vandenberg and, and Campbell, Vivian, right? yeah, Vivian Campbell, yeah, yeah. but yeah. you know, ironic. But uh, no, I, I I listened to Jeff Beck more as I got older, and you know, I appreciated the fact of where he came from, which was the British blues, and then he went on this. I don't want to say he completely went a total Alan Holdsworth route, but close to it, yeah, probably more commercially accepted than Alan Holdsworth. Um, I prefer Holdsworth, but I love what Jeff Beck did, you know, combining rock with fusion and this and that. And, you know, one of the, one of the crazy things that I noticed about him was his technique because as he got, you know, as his career went on, he started playing without a guitar pick, which is crazy. I can't, I, I have to play with a pick. I have to. So, you know, when I see guitar players like him and Mark Knopfler and um, oh, there's another guitarist. I, f- I forgot his name. I'll figure it out in a second. But, uh, you know, when I see them play without a pick using this incredible technique with a vibrato arm, I'm just like, wow. You know, like J- Jeff was, you know, he got praised from everyone from Richie Blackmore to um I mean, Eddie, Eddie praised him when Eddie was alive. So, I mean, that just goes to show you, you know, a definite guitar player's guitar player. So, you know, well, uh, 
well, Jeff Beck's impact on on music, including the music we love, the hard rock, heavy metal, is immense. You brought up the Jeff Beck group, Truth and Beckola, with Rod Stewart and uh, Ron Wood. Uh, those are the blueprints what later became Led Zeppelin and, and the genesis of heavy metal, hard rock. The second version of Jeff Beck, while not as celebrated, introduced uh, Cozy Pal to the world. Mm, uh, yes. And also, um, then when he decided to ditch singers, because um, that Beck Bogart Apathy project, uh, which is his, you know, hard rock, his last entrance of the hard rock sweepstakes, he just, uh, he was so disillusioned with, um, <laughs> he was so disillusioned with, um, with that album that he just did singers and just went his own way with the jazz fusion or, you know, he, he combined so many styles of music that it's almost genreless. It's like Jeff Beck is his own genre. Um, and he was such an amazing musician. I saw him live with Stevie Ray Vaughan, the only time I saw him live. And he was incredible, just incredible. Um, you saw that concert? Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. I went to go see uh, Jeff Beck and they were trading off a co-headlining. And in Florida, or in Tampa more specifically, Jeff Beck opened and then Steve Ray closed the show. I was kind of pissed because I didn't know Steve Ray Vaughan that much. So I decided to stick around for Steve Ray Vaughan. They didn't blow each other off the stage. You'll never see such contrasting guitar players in your life. They're both amazing in their own unique way. And uh, and then they came out and did the little Hendrix tribute, Voodoo Child, which I think Steve Ray Vaughan was traditionally closed with that anyway. So. Mm. Oh, the other guitar player that I meant to mention that doesn't use a pick, his name is uh, Jared James Nichols, a great blues rock guitar player. Um, you know, doesn't play like Beck, I'm not saying he has to, but I mean, like, you know, yeah. I, I, when it comes to three guitar players I know of today that play without a pick, it's him, Mark Knopfler of Dime, Di, Dire Straits and, and, and Jeff Beck. So, you know. I may have to switch to that uh, playing technique one day, Wayne. I got to try it out. <laughs> See what happens. You know, it can't hurt. Except it'll but, uh, you. It'll Manny, hurt that's you. incredible that you saw that concert. No, it's, yeah, I was 19 years old, which was a long time ago. Um, and I also, am a, <laughs> I was a fan of uh, of Crosby, Stills, Nash, or Crosby, Stills, and Nash Young, and uh, David Crosby's, I uh, only have a couple of solo albums. Granted, our, most of other people who watch this probably wouldn't be interested, but who knows? The good thing, cool thing about hard rock metal fans is we have a wide musical palette more than we're giving credit for. Agreed. And it's tributes to David Crosby's show. Also, that was across the musical spectrum. It wasn't just your Jackson Browns and Bonnie Raitt's. It was also a lot of people that you would normally associate with that genre of music. Anyway, uh, both men left their mark on music as far as lisa marie that was sad she was rock royalty and um you know i don't i uh she did a couple albums i have one of them it's pretty good um mm. but overall you know rock royalty and that was way too young so yeah way too young how, how old was her father uh he was only 42 when he died oh so he, he was young too yeah so. she was only nine when he passed away um that's just crazy yeah but, but anyway yeah and then yeah. her i think her son died like a few years before that right yeah he uh yeah like two years ago he he killed yeah, yeah, committed yeah. suicide so um 
They're all buried in Graceland. Few years. Yeah. yeah. And it's amazing because the, the one song that became huge, you know, she talks about this, you know, it is, there's a space in that damn backyard meeting where her father and grandfather are buried. And now her son was buried. And now, of course, she'll be buried there. But um, anyway, that was more of a human side than artistic contribution. Not saying her music was bad. I'm just saying that, you know, she's mostly known. I don't know that shadow her father that that would that would intimidate me if that was my dad you know oh yeah hell yeah I mean, yeah 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 um I uh I I I I wasn't I can't call myself a David Crosby fan but right. I appreciated the contributions to music that Crosby Stills and Nash made um those three part harmonies oh um right. are ridiculous yeah, you know, and um, you know, I I would have to say that you know, aside from "Sweet Judy Blue Eyes," uh, another uh, song from theirs that I really appreciated was um, uh, "Southern Cross." That was a good one. Um, I, I I oh I can't take away David uh, David Crosby's contributions with "The Birds," Eight Miles High, and oh. um, to everything a season turn turn turn. That's uh, you know That's a. Great song. Yeah. You know, uh, there was a little controversy around the passing of Eddie Van Halen where David right, Crosby yeah. uh, said what he said that, you know, Hendrix contributed more to the instrument than Eddie Van Halen. Um, look, I'm a guitarist and I'm an Eddie Nutswinger. I wasn't offended by that statement. You know, I mean, Hendrix was the guy who revolutionized the electric guitar for that generation and his influence is still being felt today. Eddie was the guy that revolutionized revolutionized her for my generation. And you can say both of them contributed to the evolution of the electric guitar. So for people to get offended by what David Crosby said, guys, chill the fuck out. It's just one man's opinion. I mean, come well, on. Not only that, I don't think David Crosby understood. He probably didn't understand both men's music, but... David Crosby was kind of personal friends with Hendrix where he probably thought Eddie Van Halen came from another planet. You know, <laughs> that kind of plane was, there's not many musicians that, there are a lot of bands that change rock history or Led Zeppelin's Deep Purple's The Who, but there are not many instrumentalists that change the way the instrument is looked at. Eddie Van Halen, Jimi Hendrix are definitely one of those. Neil Peart for drums. Um, and whistle for bass my point is that these men there's there's a before and after both of these guys came into the scene and you can see that you know yeah the guy so, before hendrix i would say would have to be Les paul for the sole yeah, fact yeah. that he invented the electric guitar absolutely as good as scotty moore was with elvis presley or, or chuck berry i'm not saying those guys didn't influence people to pick up guitars obviously they did but they didn't revolutionize the instrument like Les paul to point like you point out or Jimi Hendrix or um, Eddie Van Halen, you know, so. At least yeah, but, it, you know, just one man's opinion, you know what I mean? And uh, yeah. honestly, it's like, you know, just just keep in mind, people, the uh, the heroes are going. So mm -hmm. if you have a chance to see them in concert, go see them. And, you know, uh, if you can't start your own band. <laughs> <laughs> you know, let their influence continue on and bring joy to other people through the gift of music. So, 
Well, totally speaking uh, speaking of Gone Heroes, uh, today's episode is about another Gone Hero, a heavy metal hero of ours, uh, Dio. And, uh, All his, hail the King Ronnie. And what his, a nice uh, segue there, Wayne. Very I, nice. Lou, Lou set that up for me. Uh, that was an easy one. Uh, but uh, his documentary was uh, released not too long ago, uh, Dreamers Never Die. And um, that's the topic of the show. And uh, I watched it the other day, and I thought it was really good. Um a little longer than I wanted it to be. It was like two hours long. Literally. Uh, yeah, it's it's hard for me to sit and do anything for two hours like that. But uh, uh, it, you're a fucking drummer. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah, well, at least I'm moving, you know. I, I All right. Watching Fair a documentary. Enough. Fair enough. Moving while although, standing still. <laughs> although I don't know if I could I could last a two minute, uh, a two hour set of music. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm lucky I get through like five minutes. Uh, but amateur. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, we'll see what happens tomorrow. We have our uh, first band practice tomorrow. I mean, uh, uh, Friday, Thursday. Friday. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Friday. Uh, oh, yeah. So we'll see what happens with that. But um, we're gonna talk about that before we end the show. You. Yeah. yeah, we did a little show yesterday with the with some of the band members. That was fun. Yeah, that was that that aired at seven o'clock tonight. Yeah. Uh, it's before we start the deal thing. Uh, Stan was messaging me. He was he thought it was live, so he was commenting. On the video, and he was like, "Why is nobody answering me?" Because <laughs> we don't like you, Stan. We'll see you Friday. <laughs> so I thought that was funny, but uh, like I said, the Dio documentary is really good. Um, I don't think it really gave away anything that uh, people didn't know already. The only one thing that I did take away from it was um, uh, he didn't care for the song "Rainbow in the Dark," and when they recorded, he was going to cut the tape and just get rid of the song. And I'm like, my, what a huge mistake that would have been. You know, oh, that would have been a huge mistake, huge mistake. And, and and they didn't really say why he didn't like it. So I don't know if it was because they were talking about the, the keyboard part, like kind of was like an afterthought thing, like somebody did the, the key, that keyboard intro on there. And it was Jimmy Bain. Yeah, oh, that's maybe. Jimmy Bain was uh, he was a pretty big songwriter in the band. People don't mention that ever. You know, right. so I don't know if it was because of that, but I, I don't know if he would. I, I don't know if what his next choice would of a single would have been, but if he didn't come out with that song, I mean, that's a huge song today. It's always on the radio. It's still on the radio today, you know, and, and people he, love that song. I read he thought it was too poppy. Yeah. But I'm, I'm like, yeah, but pop metal in the early 80s. That's like it's big. Yeah. I mean, you know, metal was being played on the radio. And granted, you know, what they called the metal was you know, Def Leppard's Pyromania or uh, Quiet Riot's Mental Health, uh, Dio's Holy Diver, uh, you know, and the and I remember as a kid, there used to be a show called The Rock Palace hosted by, of all people, Howie Mandel. Seriously? And it was, yes. Howie and Mandel? Howie Mandel. And it was broadcast on um, network television. I want to say it was NBC. And that show was my first exposure to Black Sabbath when they had Ian Gillen as their singer. Dio was on there. Alcatraz was on there. Um, I guess it was a continuation of the Don Kirshner rock concert, essentially, is what, what it was. Um, although that was on ABC, but it was the s- same premise. Um, as, as I mentioned, Alcatraz, Dio, Rat was on it. Uh, Night Ranger was on it. You know, you had all the big hard rock popular metal acts of 83, 84 on it. So that was my first exposure to Dio. And that was the first time I saw um, Vivian Campbell play guitar. And um, 
you know, I'm not going to lie. That first Dio lineup was iconic. They were so important yeah. to um, the ev- the evolution of uh, metal in the, in, from, from the 80s to today. Um, Vivian Campbell at the time was a guitarist in uh, Sweet Savage out of Belfast, Ireland. Um, originally, Jakey Lee was supposed to be Dio's guitarist because Wendy was also managing Rough Cut. She, she was in the, in, in the middle of managing Rough Cut and she was working with Jake. Yeah, he was working with Jake, but he thought he sounded too American. He wanted someone with more of like a British uh, flair to them. So <laughs> if you look at who Dio worked with prior, but anyway, go ahead. Yeah, but oddly enough, who ended up getting Jakey Lee? Ozzy Osbourne, the guy that Dio replaced in Sabbath. And then they found uh, Vivian Campbell at a, at a Sweet Savage gig in the UK. And uh, he took him along with uh, Jimmy and Vinny. And, uh, you know, I mean, I, I know that the that lineup recorded the first three studio albums. But um, as much as I like Sacred Heart, I love Holy Diver and that last in line that much more. Yeah, those so, those first yeah. two albums are like perfect. You know, yes, not one bad song on them. Yeah, it's like a perfect continue. It, it, it's almost like Holy Diver side one, last in line side two. Yeah, you know, exactly. It's a perfect collection. Yeah. Sacred Heart kind of did fall off a, a, a little bit. You know, it didn't. Uh, it wasn't as strong as those first. Had had yeah. some great standout tracks like yeah. King of Rock and Roll, Hungry for Heaven, and uh, you know the the title yeah, track. Definitely. It also had a shit track. Shoot, shoot. Oh. that's probably why (laughs) i I think replacing that with hide in the rainbow from the iron eagle soundtrack may have been a better choice had they done that but i think that would have been a way 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 better choice it would have made the album stronger and that is a documentary right there so there you go watch it now (laughs) well no i just see it now now i didn't watch a documentary um i don't have showtime but um so your impression what was your impression of it um way all right i said it was good like like i said there wasn't really too much that people didn't already know i mean it was a couple things i didn't know because I, I don't really read up on a lot of stuff um but uh yeah. like like when he joined um uh rainbow right i i thought they were fairly big here you know i didn't know it was kind of only like a european type thing where they were you know more famous over there than they were here and uh and then when um uh richie blackmore wanted to write more you know pop songs and wanted deal to write all the like these love songs Dio wasn't into that, you know. Thank and, God. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I couldn't see him writing that kind of stuff. But uh, I, I was just kind of shocked because they, they those first two Rainbow albums, those are, are great, really great albums, you know. And why wouldn't you want to continue on to that, and make it better? But you know, Richie Blackmore wanted to do his own thing with Rainbow. He, he wanted to make money, is what happened. Yeah, yeah, because I think, like you said, Rainbow were pretty huge overseas. In the United States, were like a mid-level act with Dio, which. But see, well, like it, it's, it's now. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It, that's what I was gonna say. Like to me, it's kind of weird because like when I hear people talk about them now, it's like how great those first two albums are, and then to find yeah. out that they nobody really knew who they were, just it's just kind of weird to me. But I can understand it from back then, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you read about those that Rainbow period, like you guys point out, you would think these guys are playing stadiums in the states, and they right, weren't. Right. They were playing mid-level, not bad. But not what they did with Joel and Turner or Grand Bonnet. No, that was like whole other level, like arena rock, you know, 
I, by the way, we say this post uh, Jolyn Turner revealing that he's had alopecia his entire life. But some of us already knew that, but we didn't blow your cover like you, you know, like you blew your top, Joe. It's all good. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I mean, yeah, that lineup of Rainbow was like the quintessential rock star, I guess, type lineup. I mean, Joe looked like the pretty boy, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, and uh, it, it, yeah. it worked for them. Oddly enough, that um, era of Purple ended up influencing. No, sorry, that era of Rainbow ended up influencing Purple when they reunited for perfect strangers and then by the time uh gillen got replaced in 90 with jolyn turner you know we had deep rainbow <laughs> you know for lack of a better term but um, yeah. you know Bla blackmore is a um he's an interesting man i i love him i'm he's one of my top 10 favorite guitar players of all time but i'd hate to meet him because uh you know i he might be might be a rather difficult chap. Might be. <laughs> well, if you go to yeah, the Renaissance Fair upstate, yeah. uh, you might be. You know how many times I've been to that damn Ren Fair? I've never seen Blackmore's <laughs> well, Knife play there. I'm how, so pissed. How would you notice him anyways? Everybody looks like that. He's Because he's wearing a wig, too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what else was in there? Uh, the one thing I did, I wish that uh, that was in there was Ozzy. I, I think Ozzy was missing from the whole entire thing. I wanted to hear his take on uh, you know how he uh, deal replaced Ozzy in, in Black Sabbath and and kind of like you know what kind of rift they had with each other a little bit you know because Ozzy you, had that little midget guy on, on stage and, oh you know, Ronnie, Ronnie right and, and well if you like that, so. if you want a detailed um uh if you if you want more detailed information on that watch the Razor Fist uh Metal Mythos on uh on Black Sabbath because he actually goes into that and he backs up his statements with actual audio clips from Ozzy and Dio. And it's funny hearing it back and forth. It's like you think they're actually bickering with each other. <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> but, um, you know, uh, apparently just recently, Wendy was interviewed and she explained that, you know, sometimes Ronnie and Ozzy actually saw each other in the rainbow in passing and they were very cordial to each other. So uh, I don't think it was so much the, the 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 artists having a problem with each other. I blame that on chat. I mean, management, management, you know, that, that's what <laughs> well, I put it on. Was, was management because um, for sure. Um, Ozzy, for whatever reason, I mean, he got fired from Black Sabbath. And what I never understood what was Ozzy's bitterness toward. A ra um, this isn't just Razor. Fist is, I think, is his name. I saw that video. Yeah. It's been other documented that the Tony Martin version of Black Sabbath. We're not going to get into it. Well, that'll be another podcast. But a lot of promoters were scared off from taking on that version of the band, in the United States, mm -hmm. because Ozzy's management, and I'll let you decide who that is, made threats against that version of Black Sabbath, which is ridiculous. That even if that version of Black Sabbath got a big push by a record label, they weren't going to sell anywhere near what Ozzy. Tony Elming couldn't, doesn't care about writing commercial songs. Right. When he tries, he comes out with No Stranger to Love, which he doesn't even play live. He just drops it from the <laughs> set. So, you know, it, it's just kind of ridiculous. Well, it is documented that, that um, from Eternal Idol up until the first reunion with Dio, Dehumanizer, 
Um, Sabbath was especially at a very big. Um, they didn't do too good around no. that period. You know, like uh, the the Glenn Hughes era, which after the album release only lasted um, one week um, yeah. <laughs> on tour. Week. You know, and then they ended up getting Ray Gillen and. Uh, you know, it didn't work out with Ray in the studio, so they ended up replacing him with Tony Martin, which, you know, I mean, Eternal Idol to me is, is, a, is a classic Sabbath album. And then maybe I'm saying that out of bias because Sabbath is my favorite band. But, you know, Timeline is everything. And that was the least successful era of Sabbath in the United States. I mean, they were never a co they were never an opener. They they were a headliner, but they were facing the same issue that kiss was facing in 1982, 83 playing to more than half empty arenas or half empty venues. So it's, um, it's, a. I I think with Ozzy, because he felt that the original four members at the time were the definite black Sabbath that anything after that would have been a dilution of the original band, which, you know, Personally, I think Heaven and Hell is a perfect album, whether you put the name Black Sabbath or Heaven and Hell on it or not. Is it Black Sabbath? Well, it's not the Ozzy era. It's but to me, it's like it's Iomi has always been the bedrock of what Sabbath is because he writes the riffs. Right. You know, take him out of the equation. It's not Sabbath anymore. Uh, you know, well, since, um, since you guys saw the documentary, how uh, how extensive is the black side portion of Dio's career covered in this thing? Slight. By the way, we're joined by Greg now. Greg, what's up? Oh, not too much. How are you guys doing? Good Greg, thanks. you don't have a face, man. What happened? He has a name. You've gone, you've gone two months and you're in the invisible man. <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, they, actually, I've been watching the boys a lot lately, and I'll go with the invisible cunt. <laughs> <laughs> See you next Tuesday, everyone. <laughs> yeah. Um, they they go into it. Um, yeah, they gloss over it. I mean, ten minutes. Yeah, yeah the, the longest time they really spend talking about it, and I I was actually a little disappointed in how they handled it. But they talk about a lot, a lot about them meeting and then the lead up and the release of the Heaven and Hell album. But yeah, they, they kind of skipped over the next album, like Mob Rules, a little bit, and then yeah, just went like to where he left. Those are like two landmark heavy metal. Uh, forget heavy metal; they're two landmark rock albums in his yeah. rock history. Yeah. Not, Not just heavy that. metal. It's well, crazy. it was glossed over because basically it was the segue it was built as a segue for his exit from so, rainbow and into forming the dio band yeah now so this documentary basically focus does it focus on his early years before rainbow be, before, yeah, it focused yeah. On, yeah. Uh, all his doo-wop stuff and then uh, yes that's what yeah, I meant. yeah all those other bands and and elf they mentioned too um, and even the stuff before that too. I can't remember the the names of those two bands off the top. Ronnie and the Red Caps and the yes, Electric yeah. Elves. Yeah. yeah, and they did Actually, mention the project that he did with Deep Purple prior to the formation of Rainbow. Oh, yeah, that's like the Roger Glover solo album, Butterfly that's, Ball. That's yeah. the one. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I to this day have never owned it, and I'm a huge Deep Purple fan, but 
I've got a couple Roger Glover solo albums, but it's not something I go look for. If I find it, I buy it, but it's I don't seek it out. Oh. Yeah. Um, what was your impression of that segment, you three gentlemen? Like Greg talk because uh, he just came in. So go ahead, Greg. Yeah, Greg, uh, invisible talk. They they did a uh, they did a pretty good job with that. That was actually probably the best part of the whole thing is when they were talking about his early years and how he was coming up. Um, that was really probably the most informative part, and I thought it was pretty cool. They got a couple of his old you know friends and bandmates in there, played a lot of clips of it. Yeah, David Feinstein from the from uh, Elf and the Rods in there too, which was pretty cool. Yep. Well, yeah, so I enjoyed that the most easily. It was a shame to learn about the that one guitar player that was in his, one of his first bands, how he ended up dying. I think it was a car accident, right? Yeah, yeah. Ronnie yeah, suffered some stitches from it. Yeah, because they, they seemed like uh, Mick Wall's book mentions that, if I remember correctly. Yeah, but uh, they seemed like they were pretty good friends, and he was writing a lot of the music, so uh, I just wondered what could have maybe became of that if that if that guy would have passed away, but uh, you know. I don't well, know. I don't know if it would have become the, anything. The the, those, uh, so those Beatles haircuts weren't getting them anywhere, no. though. I'll tell you that. One. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> that was the best laugh of the whole thing was seeing Ronnie James Dio with a mop top. <laughs> yeah. 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 I don't think Cortland is famous for anything other than SUNY Cortland and being the birthplace of Ronnie James Dio, to be quite honest. Yeah. <laughs> Well, what year did that first Alf album came out? Like uh, 72, 72, right? yeah. Yeah, so even though it sounds crazy now, he would have been 30 years old when that album came out. And back then, that you know, hmm. in the rock world, it's like, oh, my God, you know, he's going to topple over and die any minute, you know, because he was 30. <laughs> you know, that was considered, like, long in a tooth. It's kind of weird how things have changed. But so he didn't it's have his first... That's kind of the same yeah. thing with with, uh, with um, uh, Bon Scott. You know, he was yeah. old when he got into ACDC. So it's, you know, kind of like the same story. Yeah, Bon was really worried. He was too old to be in the band. But Bon also had the disadvantage. He had just gotten a car wreck. So right. half his teeth were missing. His looks were no longer, not that he was a supermodel, but, you know, he, yeah, he, yeah. he didn't look like he used to. Yeah, so... Yeah, it's crazy. And then um, what else was there? Um, uh, they they seem to have kind of glanced over like the the uh, more of the like the later Dio era albums. They kind of they mentioned them, but you know that was that was a, a shitty period in his life because like you know, like all the, all the old classic guys, you know, they they go through that period where they're like on top, and then you know he went down low, and then you know he's playing to like you know a couple hundred people in a little tiny club, you know, and I felt bad for him because he. he this is what he loved to do, you know. And do you sick- uh, do you remember the joke they made about that on South Park? Because Trey no, and that big Dio fans, no. he uh, he plays the school dance at one point. I remember that episode. Yeah. Are you ready to rock, boys and girls? <laughs> um. Yeah. yeah th- and there was the little uh, cardboard cutout miming to "Holy Diver." It was very <laughs> funny. Um. <laughs> Yeah, no, that that 90s, uh, you know, it, it's funny because I remember hearing radio ads for Strange Highways when Q104.3 was still a hard rock station here in New York, Wayne. And, um, you know, they were they were playing 
um old school dio and they were playing stuff of the new album so yeah, i, I was like you know at the at the time i thought that you know well oh great ronnie's making a comeback that's that's awesome you know he's not with sabbath anymore he's doing the dio thing and you know that album was released on a major label reprise records through warner brothers and then the next album angry machines was released on mayhem records which was a little indie out of some loft in the in the village in in new york city you know like this little i mean who were some of the other uh artists on that label i think uh piston is the one pissed on well when they got signed to a major label they had to change it to piston <laughs> from pissed on so you know oh and uh nothing face was on that label too so they were a small little independent label i'm just like well, well i'm glad to see ronnie's coming out with new music but you know here's a guy who went from playing Madison Square Garden on his own, 20,000 people, to co-headlining the Roseland Ballroom in 98 with Iron Maiden to 2,000 people. It's like, what the fuck? Both these bands rule the 80s. So it's like, you know, uh, what was popular in 98? Oh, yeah. Some douche nozzle out of Florida called Marilyn Manson. Sorry uh, to insult Florida like that, Manny, but I mean, uh, well, I'm I'm a Manson fan, but yeah, he's not. How do I say? And now he now he's not really a fan club. because it turns out he's a douchebag in real life, but yeah. unfortunately, but um, yeah, it's I I don't I can't disagree with you on that. It, it's just it's a, Maryland. It's it's it was shock for shock value, which is fine, but. Marilyn Manson would try to sell it like it's high art, you know. And you can't put shit in a bag and tell me it's gold. <laughs> so, but yeah, I you know, I, I was a little bummed though that they, they didn't get any you know quotes from Tracy G, who was loyal to Ronnie for that period from Strange Highways to Angry Machines prior to Magica. They didn't have uh, Rowan Robinson from Lock Up the Wolves in there. You know, where was Claude Schnell? I mean, he was Dio's side keyboard man for the longest time. So I got a feeling yeah. a lot of these guys probably. Uh, Wendy, you know, did they talk about the, the Vivian issue? Yeah, because when Dio got signed as a solo artist to Warner Brothers, that is a fact. That's probably it never gets mentioned, but I got a feeling that was a point of contention with Tony Iommi, you know, because. Dio somehow managed a solo deal while I think he was still in Black Sabbath, if I he remember did. correctly. Yeah. Yep. But they didn't mention so, that in the documentary. Um, no, they uh, they either cut out or gloss over, I'm sure, at the behest of Wendy, anything he did that kind of made him look like a prick, whether he was in the right or the wrong at the time. Yeah, because it's like, it's almost identical to the Ozzy situation. Ozzy, when he formed Blizz, there was supposed to be the band Blizzard of Oz, and I think Sharon gets blamed, but it was probably Ozzy. Ozzy probably like, no, I want to be a solo artist. I don't want someone like Tony Iommi calling the shots. Is my opinion. Um, when the album came out, it came out as Ozzy Osbourne. The album was titled Blizzard of Oz. I don't. There was no illusion that Dio was going to be called the Ronnie James Dio band, but my understanding was that Dio said after the third album, if they make money they will become equal partners and that got reneged on again i don't know how true this any of this is stuff i read but did that come up at all in the documentary 
Any it, of this? Did, it did, but how they painted it was that um, the original deal wasn't written like that. And Vivian at the time of Sacred Heart, and especially during the tour, was asking for more money. And that's why he had to be let go from the band, because the band is Dio. Not Dio and Vivian Campbell, I believe, is almost Wendy's direct quote there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's killed a lot of artists, though, because, uh, you know, terrible Ted, Ted Nugent, um, Derek uh, St. Holmes, who was a huge part of his success, got let go after the third Ted Nugent album. Whatever you want to say, I'm not talking about Ted's politics, I'm just <laughs> talking about him as a musician. Say what you want about those Ted Nugent, nothing he did beat those first three albums. Sorry. And I think Derek St. Holmes had a huge part in that because it was his voice. It was Ted's music and Ted's silly ass lyrics, but it was Derek St. Holmes voice that I think helped sell those albums. In my opinion. I would agree with that. I think it's always a mistake when, uh, when artists don't work these things out, you, you know, I get it. Sometimes you just don't, you can't get along with that person. You outgrow. It happens, you know, Van Halen with David Lee Roth. I doubt those two men hated each other, but they wanted different things artistically and, and, and management. That makes more sense than, you know, you never heard about Van Halen fighting about money. Those two men, it was egos and it was about musical direction and how they wanted the band proceed right or wrong, you know? So, yeah. I- I personally hate it when bands expose their dirty laundry out. Like, honestly, I'm, I'm sick to death in, in reading in metal news and rock news sites about two bands in particular nowadays, uh, Queens Ragon journey. I'm just sick of it. Get your shit together and go out and freaking play already. Seriously. Like nobody gives a fuck. Like, you know, who's, what, what what whoever has the band amex account i mean like honestly just just get it together and just freaking stop it okay it's ridiculous that. isn't there a band accountant who has to i mean i don't know it just to me that that whole journey thing's ridiculous all right so the four of us in a band and i used a credit card and i spent more money than i'm allowed it doesn't a band accountant go hey manny You've taken more than you should have. You owe the management or whatever back. Isn't that how it should work? I mean, I don't know. To You'd me, think. It's crazy. You would think. Yeah. Well, uh, I, that's how Vinny apparently Vincent they have shitty broke. management. That's how Vivian what, Greg? That's how Vinnie Vincent end up broke. He overspent the advance for all systems go, and they came knocking on his door halfway through the tour. Yeah, where's our money? <laughs> That's insane because well, Vinnie Vincent was on the Alice Cooper tour, which actually made a lot of money. And Alice pays you pretty well. So how did he get broke so fast? Oh, because he's a moron. Yeah. He, bought, he bought a car, a new house, all kinds of crazy shit. I mean, he blew their money at, to the extent where um, <clears throat> the contract got extended to Mark Slaughter and Dana Strum and how that came about because it was – Pretty clear it was Vinny who took and spent all the fucking money. <laughs> Idiot. Wow. So if they crossed oh, over the 90s that all three of you mentioned, so where do they go? They just go to the glory years and there's a movie end or what happens? They, what they, they, well, they jump to... They, uh, um, 
they do talk to a few people. What I actually, what I liked about the uh, the period where they talk about the '90s, even though they gloss everything over to the point where really all they do is show the album covers and talk about how it wasn't the best time for them. It, uh, it does really tie into the fact that, you know, with the tagline of the movie and everything, Dio dreamers never die. Now he had this dream and he, he really didn't make any compromises. You know, he made himself and it took him a long time, but he kind of stuck with it and his heart was in it the whole time. And, you know, he would perform the same to 80 people as he would 8,000. And um, I thought that was cool about it, but it would have been nice to get some more insight, at least into the period, if they didn't do album specific for that. Because um, I did see the Magica tour and that was pretty cool. And he was just as awesome in a small club as he was uh three years later playing a double bill with iron maiden were they um when you saw him greg there was he that tour was a small club it wasn't a medium-sized theater yet at that point on the magica tour yeah the magica tour was like a uh medium-sized venue nothing huge but because he was starting to climb up a little bit before i am not going to call it heaven and hell when he rejoined black sabbath there were, he, was, he was starting to, I'm not calling it heaven hell, that's ridiculous. When he was starting to climb back up as a solo artist, he was making steady progress, is my understanding. Or am I remembering that incorrectly? I would say you're pretty no, dead you're, on. You're correct, yeah. Because that tour, that Magica tour, when it toured the United States, um, Greg, I'm not sure if this is the tour that you saw, was Doro the opening act with Ingve as the uh, second act on the bill? I believe so, but I'd honestly have to pull out the tickets, though. That tour was sold out at Roseland in New York City. So, you know, with Dio as the headliner and with two powerhouse acts like Ingve Malmsteen and Doro opening for him, yeah, that's a that that's an that's uphill as far as I'm concerned, and. I saw Dio twice on the Killing the Dragon tour, once as an opener for Deep Purple and the Scorpions, but that, that was at an cool amphitheater. Sorry? That said, that would have been, cool. been a cool show. That was a great show. Dio yeah. was amazing. Oddly enough, he did not play Rainbow in the Dark on that uh, on that tour. Hmm. I was I was shocked. I thought that would have been the last hmm. song. But then the next time I saw him after that, again, same bill. First time I saw him was with Doug Aldridge on guitar. Second time was with Craig Goldie. And that was at Mazda Square Garden as direct support for, my, for Iron Maiden. Unfortunately, I missed uh, Motorhead. Uh, they were the opening act. But, um, you know, I'm a huge Motorhead fan. But, you know, just seeing Dio, you know, once in a shed and once in the theater, I was just like, the man's back where he should be. So that was I great. Saw, I saw Dio when I was... 15 or 16, um, Sacred Heart Tour, but Vivian Campbell was already gone. I don't know if I knew that or not at the time. It was Greg Goldie, and the opening act was Rough Cut. And I thought Rough Cut was pretty good, and then I bought the album and go, what the hell is this shit? But anyway, that's another story, (laughs) you know? And then I I saw the Dehumanizer Tour with Danzig opening, which is great. And then I saw that when they became heaven and hell black sabbath with alice cooper and Queensryche, and black sabbath headlined over those two artists 
And that was a great show. And I think Dio died like in a year and a half after that. I don't remember, maybe longer, but it was uh, if May he was 2010. Sick, yeah, if he was sick, you didn't know it from that show. And I took this coworker that I don't even talk to anymore to the show. And he was impressed with Coop because, you know, when you see Coop, he's got a stage show. Queensryche was good, but he was really impressed. He wasn't, it wasn't even Tony Elmi that impressed him because Tony Elmi impresses you whenever. It was Dio, how crystal clear he sounded, you know. And the other cool thing about Dio, he wasn't your typical rock star. He wasn't like, hey, everybody ready to rock. He was yeah. kind of, when he would stop singing, he would like, you know, say, this is from this album. And he would sell something about the stage. You know, he wasn't a loud, boisterous yeah, person very, like you're used to. Very uh, soft-spoken. Yeah, which I kind of like. You know, he, he uh, you could tell he loved his audience, but he didn't feel his audience was stupid. You know, yeah. I like that about him, you know. Yeah. And yeah, Dio was definitely not a dunderhead. Um, there was a, I just wanted to piggyback on the Vivi Campbell thing mm -hmm. real quick. Um his playing on those first Dio albums and his contributions, his songwriting, um, to me, they're unparalleled with uh, a lot of the guitar players from the 80s. I mean, if 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 they had continued to have gone on that, um, you know, that 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 trajectory, you know, we'd probably be talking more about Vivian Campbell as an influence on younger guitar players than we ever would. Um, the three from LA, Jakey e. Lee, Warren Demartini, and George Lynch, you know, yeah, because I like, because Wayne and I just released a cover of Last in Line. And let me tell you, nailing Vivian's solo was impossible. It was damn near impossible. But everyone's saying how much they love the solo. So I thank you, everybody, for, for the praise. But trust me, it was not easy. Um, as far as, um, you know, his treatment in the band, I, I think he deserved better because there was a point in the documentary where it was stated that Dio was not making any money from royalties with Elf or Rainbow um, or even Sabbath when he was in the band. Um, he started making his royalties back with the, the Dio band. So to, to give that same raw deal to vivian i was like dude it happened to you that's not fair that you would do it to anyone else regardless right. if that's what the business dictates you know um so i don't blame vivian for being uh bitter about the situation i thought that it would have benefited the documentary if they had him on there but then that would be an entire differently different film in itself so I can understand yeah. why they didn't include him in it. And uh, Greg and Wayne, what's your take on the Vivian story or whatever you want to say about it? I don't, uh, I don't know. I, it, it really doesn't bother me. I wish I, the one thing I do wish is Vivian Cable would sound like that today. Uh, hearing him, in <laughs> hearing him in Def Leppard, <laughs> and and not playing like that, he didn't deal. It just blows my mind. Like we got last in line. No, yeah, but, no, but I, can you, would that style fit in what Def Leppard's doing now? No. No, but it would make them better. Back to where they used to be. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course it would make <laughs> you know? 
That wasn't the question. Would it make it better? That that's that goes without saying. It just it just but, blows my mind that he just you know doesn't play like that anymore. Just no, that, but that's not true. He doesn't play like that in Def Leppard, but he plays like that in the band Last in Line with Vinny. It, that doesn't well, count. True. He's he's playing his. No, it doesn't count. <laughs> I like their original material. I do too, but like that first last and light album i mean we're getting off track which is fine because we tend to do that which is why i like us yeah, what else is new it's the same yeah same guys but what i what i like about that last line the first one is the very thing i criticize it for it tries too much to sound like the dio stuff right which is ironic because i like it and at the same time i, I kind of criticize it for it but vivian campbell after he left Def Leppard, not including Whitesnake, he, he toured with them and then he, he got fired for whatever stupid reason. I don't remember what it was. Um, the first they got project, Steve I, that's why. And he's still in Def Leppard. Yeah, well, I know. He, he's not doing badly. I don't think uh, Vivian nah. Campbell's. Yeah. But the first project he did was either River Dogs or Shadow King with Lou Graham. Now, granted... Even if I don't like what Lou Graham was writing, that would have been a heartbeat work with Lou Graham as a musician, just to say I work with such a great singer. But that that project is very ARO, not surprising, because it's Lou Graham. That's his wheelhouse. And River Dogs is kind of, uh, I don't know how would you, Greg, how would, do you remember River Dogs? What would you describe him as? I mean, you you mean AOR, right? I, I yeah, don't really AOR, remember River Dogs all that well. Um, Hard I was trying to kind of fit into that '90s uh, aesthetic, uh, right? Like alter- alternative type. Yeah, yeah, was, yeah. Yeah, alternative is the best way to say it, really. Yeah, it wasn't bad, but it, he wasn't the driver of that band. It was the two other guys who were the songwriters, from what I remember. But yeah. you know, he he definitely stopped playing that style before he uh, got canned from Dio. I don't sell. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just like, you know, if if it was me, I would have just shut my mouth. I'm with Dio. Just, you know, continue to do what's going, you know, continue to just do what Dio wants you to do, you know? I mean, it, to be honest, uh, it, it doesn't really ever bother me if I know the full story or not, but I believe Vivian had a point and he shouldn't have been let go for that. Like he should have negotiated something with him, I would think, because he was a big part of the sound and whatnot. Although the way they painted in the documentary, they try to make it seem like Vinny, Ronnie and uh, Jimmy Bain did most of the writing. They that, that was one thing that did kind of annoy me is that. <sighs> And I might be wrong, but to me, it kind of seemed like they tried to make Vivian's contributions less than we know they actually were. Right. Oh, yeah. Uh, I didn't see the movie, but was Jimmy Bain a big part of the songwriting? Yes, but all you got to do is listen to uh, Dream Evil, which is an excellent album. I'm not going to put it down. And compare it to even Sacred Heart, which is the weakest Dio album of that original three. And you can tell what Campbell's yeah, it's, it's, contribution it's missing, uh, it's missing that guitar sound. Yeah, oh, and, yeah. And, and the songwriting is 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 different. Um, what's that? What was the first thing? I hope that was a chair. <laughs> Unless somebody's got some bad gas. <laughs> no, it was a chair. If I had bad gas. I would just I would just go ahead and just you know pull that out of fluffy. 
Yeah. I would get a microphone to make sure we all heard it. Guess what, Terrence? <laughs> I was about to make a craft dinner. <laughs> what was it? Uh, I could have been a dreamer. There is no way Vivian mm. Campbell was in the band that would have sounded like that. Again, I like the song, but I don't think that, that song would ever come to existence if he was in that lineup. Right. You know, that's my opinion. Uh, no, well, and, and even on yeah. Dream Evil, which isn't a bad record, but um, you can tell they were still writing the way they were with Vivian, you know, the rest of the band, because there's a few songs on there where Craig Goldie sounds. At very out of place. It's like well, something Greg, missing from the guitar. Well, Greg Coldy came from this band called Jafria, which was kind of a yeah, yeah, AOR, they they AOR in offshoot of yeah. stars. Let's move on. <laughs> or angels, yeah, what whatever. They, yeah, they had that stupid. Uh, it was like a rip off of Journey. I can't remember the goddamn song, but. Anyway. And yeah, well, don't forget, uh, Greg Jafria was the former keyboardist in uh, Angel, right? Yeah, and you know, um, there's a reason why you don't hear from uh, Greg Jafria anymore because the dude's a millionaire because he makes all the uh, bells and whistles sounds and musics for all the jukebox, not the jukeboxes, the uh, the gambling machines in Vegas. So he's 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 good. By the way, the song was called "Call to the Heart" from Jafria that you're thinking of. That's Thank yeah. you, thank you. I I have that album somewhere, but I haven't listened to it since uh, I don't know, like eighteen ninety two. Anyway, <laughs> and the the other other thing, I was uh, kind of shocked. Dio had no kids. I can understand no, he why he did have a son. He did have a, he son. Has a son. Yes. Yeah. Where? They never mentioned it in the whole documentary. Well, he's a he's a doctor, but I don't know. They never talk about it. He's yeah. Doctor Padova, had- not Doctor Dio. You, you, you know, know, he wasn't in the, in the thing at all. Well, he also know, was it, married before Wendy Dio, too. Well, you wouldn't have known that. didn't mention that at all. But um, the thing about it, it that's not really... <laughs> yes, they did mention <laughs> what his real name was and how he got the Dio name. But the, the thing about it is uh, technically it's a documentary, but it's not quite like a documentary that's a straight biography of his life. It strictly mm-hmm. focuses on the musical part of it and how driven he was that way. They mention a few personal asides, but most of it is just um, how him and Wendy met and got together and what they did together business-wise, but it's very just focused on that one aspect of his life. Hmm. And then his tragic death, which... I mean, don't get me wrong. I love Ronnie. He was a great guy. Everything he's, uh, you know, praised for is definitely well-deserved, but I think it could have been done a little better. For what it is, it was really good, though. I think when you have the family involved, I think it's hard to get a an unbiased view because uh, either you bend over backwards to be so unbiased that it makes your subject look like a jerk off or you make, or you make them look like a saint. And it's very hard to, when you see these documentaries that are sanctioned by the family or, you know, that to make them look, I think rush was probably the best one I've seen in a long time, which came out, I don't know how many over a decade ago. For who is that? Sam Dunn? Yeah. Where that yeah. was very well very well balanced. And you actually got a good idea 
what those guys are like. And even people who watch it who aren't Rush fans go, well, I don't like their music, but I really love these guys as people. Yeah. And that's that's rare, rare to do. Um, I, I definitely plan on, on, on catching the documentary. I, I do want to see it, but it seems like there's a plethora of these. There's the David Bowie one that I haven't watched yet. And, you know, a decade ago, the Doors did one. It was not bad. It was actually pretty good, but they... Um, and keep in mind that Ray Manzarek, when he was alive, loved Jim like it was a brother or a son. So they they did mention some of Morrison's bad aspects, if you've seen it. But they also kind of glossed over it, too. Like, well, he just died one day, you know. <laughs> yeah, it because it, it, Manzarek, even toward the end of his life, just had a hard time facing it. His friend had a problem, you know, so. I, I have to say, though, my oh, I'm sorry, Wayne, go ahead. His son was adopted, so I guess maybe that's why. Oh, like, okay. Oh, so what that means? Well, we don't talk yeah, about that. You know, screw him. We don't have to talk about that kid. <laughs> He's not blood. <laughs> well, he did speak at uh, Dio's funeral, and uh, he had very loving words to say about him. So yeah. that was a uh, pretty cool. Um, I have to say though, I my no f- my favorite segment of the film, and again, may, I'm probably showing bias because I love the album so much was the creation of the Holy Diver album cover. Like, I did not that? know that it was a painting based on an actual photograph. Yeah, that yeah, was kind of funny. Yeah. Now, the funny thing is the guy who played the uh, uh, the camera talent, uh, the person who donned the priest suit and the wet suit under the priest suit and the chains over the suit mm-hmm. was, uh, that was actually uh, performed by um doug sackman who is the director of punk rock holocaust and was also a um special effects coordinator on a bunch of films for trauma including oh, wow. citizen toxie toxic avenger 4 and the recent film shakespeare shitstorm and he also directed a couple of porn <laughs> movies called uh, evil head and repenetrator so i thought that was <laughs> I'm not making that up. He has his own IAFD page, his Internet Adult uh, Film Database page. <laughs> that that's amazing, guys. But uh, you know, it was it was great seeing him in that role as a talent. You know, jumping in in the ocean by the bank, saying, "Take the fucking picture, take the." Fucking... <laughs> so that was that was pretty cool. Um, and you know, and they they talked about Murray the mascot a little bit. Mm-hmm. So why did, why did they name him Murray? I forgot what was the story with that. Why was his name Murray? remember that they because they they were sitting around one day talking about well do we want to call him lucifer or this and that but and blah 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 and basically just to end it end it ronnie said his name is murray and got up and walked out (laughs) (laughs) meet my devil my creation i will call you murray (laughs) a quick question before we close this out. I just want to ask the three of you since you saw it. Was there anything, the documentary that wasn't covered or should have been covered in death? I know you kind of more. I know you guys kind of answered that, but no, they, they, actually, that- they actually did a pretty good part with his death, I guess, because, you know, they, they showed what he went through in the hospital and that, that he had the, the stomach cancer and everything. And, um, you know, his recovery, even when he accepted that award. So I think they, they covered that pretty well, I think, anyway. Yeah. Was there anything uh, they should have covered more, Wayne? 
and your opinion on his career? Anything they should have covered? I would have liked to hear a little bit more of the, you know, the 90s stuff and, and things like that. And especially a little bit more of the Black Sabbath and, you know, what happened with that. But uh, for the most part, I, you know, I was happy with it. There's, you know, obviously there's always going to be something that they could have added and not going to, you know, add, but whatever. It's It was good. Yeah. Um, what, one thing I kind of found unfair about that, and I do like some songs off Dehumanizer, but it's far from my favorite album. But, um, you know, the, the, it, and I love the Heaven and Hell one, The Devil You Know. That's, they were definitely right. He went out on one of his biggest high notes with yeah. that record. But, um, you know, it's funny because all they do, they mention it by name. They just show a picture of the Dehumanizer album, skip mm. over the 90s stuff real oh, yeah. quick. And then they start talking about how the devil, you know, compares to it, though they never say the name or anything, but they don't really give any background other than, well, oh, well, that one kind of sucked and this one's way better, but but we're not going <laughs> to tell you why or what. But um, even though I don't really care for the 90s DOMs, it would have just been nice for them to, to talk about that era at all, really. I mean... It, it's cool. Uh, I can't remember the name of the song right now, but the one where he's just playing piano and singing that, that that's a great, oh, this is your life. Yeah. yeah. This is your life. It was cool. How they set that up. Very, very emotional and effective mm -hmm. ending by the way. And uh, very sweet the way they did that. But uh, it, it would have just, I mean, they had the guy that engineered the two albums there. It would have just been nice to hear something about, the writing process or what Ronnie's thoughts were at that time, because, you know, they specifically mentioned how he didn't want to do whatever with Dio around the dr dream evil part and his split with Richie on rainbow, how he absolutely hated the idea of having like a commercial pop type song out there, how he kind of, arrived at that sound during that time period even though he they paint him as a crusader of what was going on and and popular in the underground at the time which which he was in a sense but if you've ever heard strange highways or angry machines you would know it borrows a bit from the popular sound at the time or popular in the underground however the fuck you want to phrase it and dehumanizer does too so that 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 was probably the one i wanted them to expand on the most it was frustrating the way they kind of skipped over the whole era also too uh simon wright was a drummer too in some of his albums and yeah, yeah nice to have was. him on the uh he wasn't on the documentary either no, so uh, he he had a blip hmm. He was just in it a blip. Yeah. <laughs> I must have I must have dozed off. And, and Ru Rudy Sarzo got more coverage, and he was in the yeah. band less time yep. than Simon Wright. And I love and, Rudy and, as a as a musician. I think he's phenomenal. Incredible. So because he was in the band, what six minutes? <laughs> Rudy Sarzo. I yeah. thought it was five. <laughs> yeah. What about you, Lou? What What do you think they didn't? What would you have wished they'd cover more of since you watched it? <sighs> well. The 90s era, I definitely think that it would have been really good to have um, seen Dio as he was. I mean, there there is a public access interview with, with Ronnie that mm -hmm. came out in the 90s. Like it was on the Strange Highway store with uh, Vinny, Jeff Pilsen and uh, Tracy G. And you see Dio being brutally honest and blunt 
about everything up until that point, including how he felt about uh, Rainbow, how he felt about Richie, how he felt about uh, the Dio band, and how he felt about uh, Sabbath the first time and the second time around. And he did not have kind words for a lot of people. So it, it, it may have been a negative side of Dio, but as someone who appreciates transparency and honesty and knowing that, you know, I don't appreciate bullshit. Um, I think it would have been good to have shown Dio in his, in his honesty, mm-hmm. you know, to, to show where he was at at the time that uh, strange highways and uh, angry machines was created. Now, Greg and I have spoken about this um, off, uh, off the record. Um, I know how he feels about Dehumanizer, and, and I completely respect it. I love the album. I, I, it's an album I actually still listen to. There's a lot of gems on that record that I, I really enjoy. But I know that there was a huge black cloud over the recording of that album, and especially the, the tour. You know, um, they don't go into why he left Sabbath the second time around, because the truth is, uh, you know, here was Sabbath and a successful reunion tour and 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 an album with with Ronnie. And then all of a sudden Oz is saying, I'm retiring. And he wanted Black Sabbath to open for him on his last two shows. And Dio said, I'm not doing it. I was never asked to do it. And I won't do it. And Tony said, well, we're doing it anyway. And Dio said, well, I quit. And that's why they ended up getting Rob Halford for those two shows. Yep. Um, so Tony blew it. And I agree with it, that. Tony and, and, did blow it. And he st- Dio states that that was done by Sharon as an act to sabotage, no pun intended, that lineup of Sabbath so that Ozzy could reunite with them, which at one point in 93, there were talks and plans, but it didn't formulate. So Dio flat out said, you could have had the best band in the world take back its throne and said you blew it all on on lies. And he was right about that. That was post-dehumanizer, pre-dehumanizer. That album was supposed to be recorded with Tony Martin. Then he got the boot deal, came back in. Causey Powell was still in the band. <laughs> yeah, for about an hour or two after Dio came back. <laughs> you know, I think that part of the movie would have made the film, add, it would have added an hour to it. So maybe it's good that they didn't include it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, definitely. It, it, they could have said something, even if they didn't go into it in depth. Well, the yeah. fans know. I mean, if anything, this is made for casual people who want to watch a documentary on Ronnie. That's probably what, what it was done for. Oh, it's a fluff piece for people that are watching shit like Access TV, you know, the classic <laughs> albums type stuff. They do ID that. Discovery. <laughs> well, I, I don't quite know about the informative murder porn channel. <laughs> <laughs> informative murder porn. Uh, <laughs> I like that. Oh, but it, but it is a good documentary, and I do suggest uh, that people watch it. If you haven't watched it yet, go watch it. Uh, I think you'll enjoy it. It was it was fun watch, and um, yeah, let us know what you think about it in the comments, and 
let us know what you think about you know what we talked about in the comments too so well stan left the one comment in the uh, chat he said his best stuff was doing doo-wop yeah it wasn't even released yet jackass <laughs> Actually, it was uh, released. Some of it was. Not the, now. Not now, but oh, uh, wow. yeah. there was one guy on, but, on the documentary um, who was a huge Dio fan, and he had this old Dio collection, and he had a couple of those. Uh, actually, probably had every single one of those Dio. Where the fuck did this guy find this shit? I have He's no idea, Portland. but he was playing he, it. He was his friend from the beginning. Oh, okay. Yeah, and just kind of stuck with him throughout the years, because even then, He's crooning like Sinatra, but he's got an amazing voice. You can still tell it's Ronnie. Oh, yeah, he definitely tells him. You can hear his voice. Yeah. yeah, I remember on eBay. I don't know if it was a legit release, probably not, but somebody had put together a compilation of, uh, I think it was Ronnie and the Prophets. I know they recorded a live album. Only reason I know is uh, actually one of Greg's heroes, Greg Bloom, I think, Blue Oyster Cult. Not Blue Oyster Cult, but Eric Bloom's original band, whatever, high school band he was in open for running the and the prophets i think or the red caps or whatever pre-soft white underbelly no i think it i don't think it was a uh, like no it um it would have been right around the same time as the soft white underbelly but i think they were called the stock because that was right around when they recorded that album that was rejected okay so i don't um only reason I know is because of that, but um, it's kind of amazing because Ronnie James Dio was what what they say he was born forty two, right? Nineteen forty two. Yeah, so he was he was a year older than Jim Morrison was, and the same age as Jimi Hendrix. Did. It took him a lot longer for him to to make it. Also, what's amazing is how long it took him to kind of find the sound. If because if you hear those Elf albums. They're almost like New Orleans slash Southern Rock in some points, you know. It but definitely is not, you know, the, the heavy that, metal hard rock he created with Rainbow. That's for damn sure. It's not bad, but first time I heard it, it's like, but you know, it took me back. I like it now, but I can't say I fell in love with it the first time I heard that Elf stuff personally. Well, I, no, and uh, they they actually make a pretty good point of that when when they do mention it in there, and I think that's another reason why it's important that they and cool that they actually play in the movie um, the different earlier tracks he sang on, because he was just he was really more powerful and ability. There wasn't something that existed just yet that could capture his voice in that way, and then Rainbow came out and. It just blew everyone away. Well, I, I, uh, found it at home. I did hear um, uh, one song from Ronnie and the Prophets, and it was a cover of Carol King's Will You Still Love Me Tomorrow? And let me just say, Ronnie sounded like a freaking angel on it. Mm-hmm. I mean, he just sang it so beautifully. I think that's one of the most gorgeous songs ever written. Um, you know, I've heard Brian Ferry cover it. I've heard... Um, I've heard Grand Bonnet and Rainbow cover it on different occasions. Um, my wife's covered it. It's it's I think it's one of the greatest songs ever written. And he there was there was nothing he couldn't have done. I, I'm I'm proud to say I had the pleasure of meeting Ronnie in 2007 when Sabbath was at the uh, Best Buy in Times Square. Uh, me and my, my my buddy Alan Long 
we were actually the third and fourth person in line to get our copies of the deal years autographed by them. And if Ronnie had his way, he would have talked to me all day because he knew Astoria, you know, him being from Corland. And he's like, Oh, where are you from originally? I said, I'm from Astoria, New York. He said, Oh, a lot of great Greek food there. I'm like, yeah, I, yeah. What was your favorite place? He's like, Oh, you know, and then he mentioned this restaurant. I'm like, Oh my God. He, he really had a photographic memory of places, of people, of things, you know? And of course I got to meet my hero, Tony Iommi and geezer was drunk, <laughs> but, but Vinny was cool as hell. You know, he's like, you know, Hey, Greek and Italian Pythons. I'm like, yeah, we're cool, man. You know, but uh, you know, they're all, all just such gentlemen, but for me to meet Ronnie and, uh, and Iommi was just amazing. But, you know, considering that Ronnie passed three years later, and it was that more meaningful for me. Just such a sweet, sweet man. I think what's sad about that last Black Sabbath album, The Devil You Know, is I think that they were at a place because they were all older men. They weren't really, you know, that they kind of all that ego stuff was set aside and and they were all happy at the place they were in their career. But I think artistically, I think it would have been interesting to see them continue, you know, and, and see what they would have done. I think that would have been great, you know, because um, um, I'm one of the few people who like 13, but I could have lived without 13 if that version of Black Sabbath would have continued, you know, because mm-hmm. the uh, Iomi was a lot happier with Dio than he was working with uh, Ozzy and, and Rick Rubin, you know, in my opinion. It just seemed forced. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's a there's a difference when you're creating music for the love of it, and there's a difference when you're creating it because it's a paycheck and guaranteed money. And I'm sorry, but the example, the devil you know, versus thirteen, <laughs> I rest my case. Yeah, and and thirteen is uh, shit. It's it's okay, but the devil you know is is a freaking great album. Thirteen is probably the se- uh, second worst Black Sabbath album right behind Forbidden. I think so. it's worse than Forbidden. It is worse wow. than Forbidden. Wow, you guys are rough. He's like, <laughs> I, I love every Black Sabbath album, but Forbidden to me is I, I can't call it a Black Sabbath album because of one reason and one reason only. Bill Ward is not on it. If you're going to put Ozzy in the band and not have Bill Ward on drums, then to me, that doesn't count. Well, yeah, a lot of people yeah. agree with you. Doesn't um, yeah, it doesn't bother me either because I'm a I am a Bill Ward fan, but um, I'm uh, more Tony bothered. Doesn't that, even uh, sound Rick like he wants to it. play on that fucking album. Like, <laughs> really? How in the hell can you have Tony Iommi on a record and there isn't one fucking truly great riff on it? That's how you can tell it was a bad idea and for the money because he did not care one bit. Well, I think if Tony Omi wasn't fighting cancer and he was fired up like he was in the old days, Rick Rubin's name would have still been on the production credits, but he wouldn't have produced it. Look at uh, when Rick Rubin worked with ACDC, Angus and Malcolm Young weren't having any of it. So they hired Michael Frazier to took over. Mick Jagger, solo album, um, Wandering Spirit. It's just produced by 
Rick Rubin. But if you look at the credits closely, Jagger had enough of Rick Rubin, got rid of him, paid him off, kept the album on in. It was Mick Jagger and uh, I can't remember who the other guy is. My point is that some of these artists work well with Rick Rubin. Others are like, screw you. You know, you're overrated. Yeah, well, I mean, all he does is like red, room. red Hot Chili Peppers love them. Johnny Cash loved them. but Slayer loved them, I guess. But uh, yeah, Slip, Slipknot doesn't. The, uh, oddly enough, yeah. though, that Slipknot album that they recorded with Rick Rubin, I don't want to say produced, I'll say recorded. That's my favorite Slipknot record. Um, I thought I, it was... Uh, I think it's the best sounding one, actually. Yeah, volume three. Which, However, yeah. um, Corey Taylor can't stand them. But then again, Corey Taylor yeah. can't stand a lot of people. So whatever. Well, I, well, Corey Taylor and Mick Jagger and Angus Young must have formed a club because those three men. Now, Mick Jagger's never said anything bad about him, but you know why? Because Mick Jagger doesn't have to. He's Mick Jagger. But proof is he got rid of him. And, you know, what does that say? Yeah, if you want a good producer, hire Alex Repetti. He's good. Thank <laughs> uh, yeah, no, he's good. Um, anything else you want to talk about? It's time to head out of here. My yeah, dog beat cancer, so I'm Yay. happy about that. That's good news. If yeah. somebody has a good dog story, how was your uh, dog story, Greg? Is everything okay with that dog? Uh, she'll be okay. She'll be right. Awesome. I uh, I don't want to get in that whole thing now. We'll be here another hour. Yeah, no, just want to know if it's okay. Um, yeah, no, she'll be all right. All right, good. All right. Well, this was actually fun. I was kind of not wanting to do it, but I'm glad that we did. We uh, actually did get to talk about the documentary and everything and uh, some extra stuff there. So it was good. I had a lot of fun on our first episode. Well, actually, technically, it's our second episode back because we just released an episode of uh, a Severed Angel. Uh, actually, earlier today, right? Yeah, literally an hour before we went live. Oh, so this is our first live episode. First of live the year. episode of uh, 2023. Uh, one of many. There will be another one next week. I have no idea what we're going to talk about, but no. But my face will be on because I won't have laundry everywhere like I do right now. <laughs> Dog <laughs> took up most of my day. <laughs> no problem. But uh, yeah, we'll be back next week. And uh, it was great being with you guys again. I had a lot of fun. Same here. And yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and hopefully James can join us. And mm -hmm. um, as always. Ratsalaryview.com and on here on YouTube, please hit that subscribe button. And also, and also what the hell is that? I think the cops yeah. have come for Greg. Yeah, I think they've come <laughs> to take him away. Haha. <laughs> and, ha. and if you can, check out uh, Ratsal Review and Friends, our cover of Last in Line. We promise you'll enjoy it. Yeah, you'll like that. And uh, if you listen to this, uh, the podcast version, please hit subscribe on that too. Whatever you're listening to it on, just hit subscribe. And uh, also, too, uh, it would help us out a lot if you can leave us um, some kind of like, um, uh, you know, five star review or something on, on whatever podcasting you lis listen to uh, our show on. And uh, yeah, let people know that you actually like the show. Mm -hmm. right? And remember, the 1000 subscriber gets this autographed copy of the Def Leppard tribute album. Let's get rocked that you can hear myself, Greg and sorry, myself, Greg. Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, George Dimitri from uh, Severed Angel on bass guitar and our friend John Witten from Shockwire on vocals were covering On Through the Night on this record. Alex produced it and mixed it. And um, 
yeah, just get it for that because it's it's not available on Spotify or Apple Music. So, you know, it is available on YouTube because I did make a video on here. So. Yes, you did. But Check. remember, a thousand subscriber wins this autographed copy. Yeah, that's a lot of fun. And we're almost there. Eight hundred eighty five subscribers as I'm reading this right now. So hit that subscribe button. Get us to one thousand and you will win that CD. Mm hmm. All right. That's it. See you guys next All week. Right. Damon. Good night. See you guys. Good night. How do I turn this off now? And a quote, Rick Sanchez. <laughs> Gotta take a shit. I gotta get riggedy, 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 racked. <laughs>